Let's open the precious Word of God, the Bible, to Acts chapter 4. He's just the same today. 3,000 were baptized and were added right away. What chapter of Acts? Chapter 2. Yes, indeed. Chapter 2 of Acts. But we're turning to chapter 4. Chapter 1, we had Jesus Christ leaving His 12 chosen apostles that now numbered 11 with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, in Jerusalem to wait for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We see the first business meeting that the church had where they replaced Judas Iscariot who had hung himself after betraying our Lord and they chose Matthias with God's blessing of their lots. Chapter 2, we see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out. Peter preaches a wonderful sermon. There's tongues being spoken. That is, foreign languages easily understood by those raised in those languages. Declaring the glorious works of God. 3,000 hear it and marveled and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. And they were baptized, 3,000 of them. They were added to the church. We saw the character of that church in the last part of that second chapter. Chapter 3, I believe later in the day, Peter and John going to the temple and finding that lame man there, and Peter looks down at him and says, Look at us. And that man looked up, and Peter said, I don't have silver and gold to give you, but what I have I do give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he, leaping up, stood and entered into the temple with them. And Peter preached another sermon, explaining that the Jesus Christ that they had crucified was the source of the power for the healing of this lame man, and that he was now seated at God's right hand, and the times of refreshing and restoration were in process, and they needed to repent so that their sins would be blotted out as God completed the New Testament era of grace, gospel, rest. We come to chapter 4. It's very closely connected because we're still connected to the healing of the lame man. Because chapter 3, verse 26 ended with Peter saying to those Jews, Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you away from his iniquities. And as they spake, all connected here, This is a huge outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Peter's speaking. Tongues are being spoken. Lame are being healed. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people. Now let me stop right there for a minute. The established religious hierarchy does not like their people being taught. They don't want you to know your Bibles very well, because if you know your Bibles very well, you're going to be able to take down their house of cards. Being grieved that they taught the people. I want you to consider for a moment, we sang a song earlier tonight, Hail the day so long expected, and that was the fall of Babylon. The Babylon of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. And we want to remember that for a thousand years, for twelve hundred years, for longer, they kept the people in total darkness. What were the Middle Ages called in times past when men spoke more plainly? 
the Dark Ages. That's more descriptive than Middle Ages. Middle Ages doesn't help you at all, except that there were some ages before and some ages after. But Dark Ages tell you that there wasn't much light. Because the Catholic Church controlled the knowledge. What language was the Mass done in until 1963? Latin. Latin. Now isn't that precious? Wouldn't you like to go to church for a one-hour ceremony where you sit there like a stooge and watch some people do a play up front in Latin? In America. Everywhere, every Catholic church, it was done in Latin until 1963. That is darkness. Do you know how much you can learn that way? What if I could speak Russian? I began speaking to you in Russian. How much would we get? Remember, Catholic priests don't teach anyway. All they're doing is going through a planned 60-minute ritual so that on the 61st minute you can know you'll be in your car. There's no teaching even in, if they did use the language. Right. I'll take you to Mass Saturday night, 6, 8, 6 p.m. Anyone that wants to go with me, I'll take you down to St. Mary's and we'll see whether it's going to be Charlie Brown this week or the Atlanta... What's the football team? The Falcons. That he's going to use for his little homily. But they were grieved that the people were being taught. We want you to open your Bibles in your laps. I want to open the Word of God. I want to read it to you. I want to read it distinctly. I want to give the sense. And I want you to go home with some understanding of it so that the wool can't be pulled over your eyes. And these priests and the rulers of the temple and the Sadducees were grieved that the people were being taught. And that's the way it's always been. You go look at a John Wycliffe or a Martin Luther or William Tyndale or John Kelvin or John Huss or some of the martyrs of what's commonly called the Reformation, and it's because they would go out in the street and they'd preach to people. They'd preach the Word of God and open their eyes to see the truth. I remember Jesus Christ had called the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 and said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to turn them from the power of Satan unto God, by opening their eyes that they can see the truth. And the establishment doesn't like that because there are lazy men, refined men, who like the security, the income, the protection, and the power and prestige of working for that religious establishment. And so for their self-interest, they want to protect it. Now, every good minister wants to protect his congregation from false doctrine. But when you get into a large system, you're not there because you love doctrine. You're there because you chose a career when you were 18 years old. Instead of being a doctor, an accountant, or putting in windshields, you decided that you were going to go into the ministry. And God's never called a man that way. But that's how the religious establishment is built. But they were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, you need to understand a Sadducee. A Sadducee was was a Jewish sect. That is a Jewish denomination. And this particular denomination was the liberal one. They didn't believe in spirits. All they believed in was the body and that was it. And after that, there wasn't anything more. There wasn't a resurrection from the dead. Man didn't have a spirit when he died. There was no spirit to go anywhere. They believed in the annihilation of the soul. Ever hear that one before? Jehovah's Witnesses and others? They were the Sadducees. The Bible tells us that many times. They came to Jesus. This is how crafty they were. 
Because Jesus made them look like fools, you're not going to think it's very crafty, but it was a pretty good argument. Jesus. A man married a wife and died before he could have any children. The man had six brothers. And so the woman married the second brother to try to have a son for the first brother, and he died before they could have any children. And then there was a third brother. He married her. And so all seven brothers married this woman. They didn't have any children. In this so-called resurrection that you're preaching, whose wife will she be? Master? You ever remember reading that one in your Bible? See, they were mocking the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus said, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. For they are neither married nor given in marriage in heaven, but are as the angels of God. They didn't believe in a resurrection. And so here comes a couple fishermen that are standing in their temple. And guess what? Where the biggest crowd is. The biggest crowd wants to see a man that just keeps jumping. Because he's healed. And he's giving glory to God with his mouth. And they're speaking in foreign tongues. And then Peter starts preaching the resurrection from the dead. They don't like that. And it's like preaching in this city the election of God. This city doesn't like it because of a university that's here. They were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I want you to remember, Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Paul's very crafty. We're going to run into him later when he's on trial. And he looks out there and sees this huge crowd there that wants to get him killed. And he looks out and he realizes that half the audience is the Pharisees, who were the most conservative denomination of the Jews' religion. They definitely believed in a resurrection. They were the bibliolaters. They were, they loved the word of God as far as they held it. The Sadducees were the liberals. And Paul looks out and sees them both. And he stands up and he says, I'm the son of a Pharisee. And for the resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question this day. Well, the Pharisees said, Amen, brother. And the Sadducees made a roar and they almost ended up killing each other while Paul stood on trial. Do you understand his, his wisdom? Right. And we're going to read that later in the book of Acts. And that's being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Paul didn't say anything wrong. He was the son of a Pharisee. And he was being held in question for the resurrection of the dead, but that just wasn't all. He just mentioned the point that would create a fur among these two opposing parties that were standing there next to each other. But remember that as we go through the book of Acts about the Sadducees, at this time, the captain of the temple, chapter 5, verse 17, or the high priest was a Sadducee. At various times, the high priest might be a Pharisee, he might be a Sadducee, but at this time, chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And Luke wants us to know that, that at this time, the temple... And the priesthood was under the direction of Sadducees. And here comes Peter and John, two ignorant, unlearned fishermen, preaching the resurrection of the dead. In fact, the resurrection of someone that they had hoped was dead. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. What a great day, if it's all one day. Right. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Amen. Amen. Give God the glory. Peter and John, two fishermen, 
in the temple run by Sadducees, preaching the resurrection from the dead, have 5,000 men that believe, though they were taken by the religious establishment and put in prison. That's the power of God. Two men can be hauled off to jail that are ignorant by the wise ones, but 5,000 believe. What else happened that Luke didn't put in because he expects you to know it? They were baptized. You don't believe without being baptized. You say, well, who would there have been to baptize him with Peter and John in prison? Well, about 10 more and then another 70. Right. But in the Bible, when, a, when someone believes the gospel, they are baptized. Because baptism is the act of obedience of a believer that really wants to follow Jesus Christ. He gets baptized. Amen. And that happens there in verse for many of them which heard the word believed, the number of the men was about 5,000. So what do you want to say? We had a crowd of about 10,000 converted, 8,000, 12,000 with women and children. A large number. The Lord is adding to his church. Right. And it came to pass in the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Now, isn't that precious? By what authority, what power, what authority, and what name do you have? What university do you represent? What denomination backs you? What creed do you hold to? Where did you get your doctorate? By whom were you ordained? Common questions even asked to this day. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, brethren, Jesus Christ had prophesied and told his disciples, look at Matthew chapter 10, that when they got into predicaments like this, he was going to help them. Amen. When you read certain passages in your New Testament gospel accounts, I want you to remember that some of them were addressed to the apostles and not to us. Amen. If they were addressed to us, I could have two careers. Wouldn't have to study, because the Holy Ghost would give me the words I needed when I needed to speak. But we need to study. But in Matthew chapter 10, we have the Lord Jesus Christ addressing his apostles that were going to go out and preach. Look at verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Who's going to win in that battle? The wolves will eat the sheep. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Amen. Amen. What were Peter and John doing in prison all night? I believe they were doing what Paul and Silas were doing, singing and praying and praising God. 
which is what we're going to find in Acts 16. They weren't worried because Jesus had said, take no thought. Don't worry about what you're going to speak. I'll give it to you in that hour. Now, I personally would like it a few more hours earlier than that because it just gives me a comfort level to know what's going to, what I'm going to speak on before I get there. But you know what? These men were men of faith. Right. And so they waited until they were hauled here. And notice what it says about Peter, verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. He, it doesn't say he got it again or was filled again. It just states he was filled. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And these are the words of the Holy Ghost. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, notice that. I just want to point out, we've got to move through this quickly. I just want you to see that Peter's first words from the Holy Ghost are, we were put in jail, and now we're on trial for a good deed? Right. If we this day be examined of the good deed, why weren't they all blessing God? Why weren't the religious leaders blessing God for the healing of this lame man? But instead they want to examine these apostles because they didn't have the right credentials or they hadn't been ordained by the right ordaining board. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all. You want to examine us and ask us by what authority we do this? Be it known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Amen. Amen. This is a trial, brethren. Can you go with me for a few minutes back into this courtroom and into this trial? The entire establishment of the authority of Israel is there. And they're examining two fishermen, but they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And they're giving credit where credit is due and belongs. And that's to the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And notice, they get his whole name out there. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you'll notice that many times I say his name that way because the Bible does, so I want to. Right. Because that those words to me remind me that he was a boy that once grew up in a city called Nazareth. And I don't want you to ever forget that. Jesus Christ is a man. There is God the Eternal Spirit and his son Jesus Christ, which was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived in this world as a man for 30 years. 33 and a half years. Jesus is a man. Jesus is a man on a literal throne in heaven right now. He, we'll see him with our eyes. You'll never see God. You will see all that God is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to remember that he is our mediator. He's a man that's in heaven for us. It's a man that saved us. Not only a man. He's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. Emmanuel. But he's a man, and he was from Nazareth. Right. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Isn't that powerful? Two little fishermen standing there with this great array of authority, religious authority, whom ye crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead. 
is the authority by which we operate. Right. Wow. Isn't it a great job to represent the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. Now let's talk about dropping some names and operating by some authority and power, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And not only do you have some credentials on a piece of paper hanging on your office wall, as they did, you have God himself indwelling Peter, giving him the power and the wisdom by which to speak right here. Glorious. Give God the glory. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Look at Psalm 118 just to pick up this prophecy. This is Peter. This is Peter that didn't know that Jesus had to die, though Jesus had told him for three and a half years. This is Peter who, after Jesus died, didn't know that he was going to rise again. This same Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, is able to apply this verse. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, brethren, if you were reading Psalm 118, would you jump up and down when you got to verse 22? If you had been Peter in the year 33 A.D. But the Holy Spirit told Peter, these verses are a fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Lay it to him. Because what a prophecy this is. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. In building a structure, which is the kingdom of God, that's all the Jews were interested in, even though they were terribly misguided, was the kingdom of God. The headstone of the corner, the most important stone in the entire building, was going to be refused of builders, but it's going to become the headstone anyway. Because it's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And he lays that jewel on them. Back to Acts chapter 4, verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. You refuse this cornerstone. The Lord has done something marvelous. And he has become the head of the corner. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The marvelous thing, God raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, making him king and Christ. Lord and Christ. This is a short sermon. Wow. I'd love to have heard that. In that packed courtroom with all those religious men there despising them. They were grieved because they were teaching the people. And there's a man over here toward the side still doing this. Oh, you'll see. oh yes, brethren. I don't know where he was during the night. I'll bet he asked to be in shackles next to Peter and John because he's right there with them. Right. And he's still testing his limbs, full of energy, blessing God, his face glowing with the blessing of God in his life. And these two men speak the way that I just described to you. Brethren, I want to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe in goosebumps from the Holy Ghost. But I'll tell you, when you read a verse like this or you hear it, you want to give glory to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Who wouldn't want to follow Him? He healed a man lame for over 40 years, simply by the use of His name. And so the Apostle Peter says in verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. 
That includes Caiaphas, John, Annas, Sadducees, Pharisees. There is no salvation anywhere. It's not in Moses. It's not in the prophets. It's not in Muhammad. It's not anywhere except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What a short little sermon. Laying on them the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. By what name do you do this? Oh, they shouldn't have asked that question. By what authority do you do this? Oh, they shouldn't have asked that question. They should have just got excited about a lame man bouncing up front. Instead, they want to know what name and what authority? Well, Peter answered their question. By the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now let's talk about that name for just a minute. Do you get the benefits of that name because you have a bumper sticker on your car that says honk if you love Jesus? Do you get points in heaven because you have a bumper sticker on your car that says Jesus is my co-pilot? Ooh, I don't even like... Do you like hearing that one? I don't like saying that one. Jesus isn't my co-pilot. He's my Lord and my Redeemer. Amen. And if, anything, if anything's being piloted, he's doing the piloting, and I'm a passenger. Right. I don't even want to be his co-pilot. I'm a passenger. Anyway, you know what I mean. Well, does it mean that you wear a cross with Jesus hanging off it around your neck on a silver chain called a crucifix? Is that by which we get the... Is it saying the name Jesus? Or is this verse just saying that there is no salvation in any other name or authority? All authority and power is given under heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he just happens to reference him by his name. All authority, all salvation, all power is in the Lord Jesus Christ, And there is no other being that would have a name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation, and there is no other. And that's the authority by which we operate, and he's the only source of salvation. The word name being put for the person of Christ. It's not quoting it. It's not saying it. It's Jesus himself. That's the source of salvation and the power for it and the answer to their question. I love this little passage here. I could read it over and over and just dwell on its words and think about a simple fisherman who was so frightened just a few days earlier because a little girl said to him, I think you have been hanging around Jesus of Nazareth also. And he denied that he ever knew him. Now, brethren, this wasn't any little servant girl, and this wasn't a fire outside the the palace of the high priest. The entire assembled authority of Israel was there, and they were demanding of him by what authority he was operating, and he let them have it. I hope you love reading that, thinking about it. This is a history book, brethren. It's for us to go back and see what true Christians were like. We don't look anywhere else to see a picture of true Christians, but right here, this is what they were like. They lifted up Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I've been trying to tell you that they were kind of bold. 
I hope you got that picture of how they preached so short, so concise, so powerful. In answer to the question, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Well, now, how did they perceive that? Those words that we just read must have come out in some way with the formation of the syllables and the accent on the words and the grammar that showed that those men weren't trained, they weren't polished, they weren't refined, they weren't highly educated, they were fishermen. They may have known very little beyond what the nets about the nets and the boats that they worked on with their dads since they were young. Remember, both of these men, with their brothers, worked with their fathers in fishing. They looked at them and realized that they were being bold, that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. They had just heard wisdom. They had just heard an obscure psalm applied to Jesus Christ by a fisherman with boldness, who stood there and laid it to them. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I want everyone to marvel when they see us and hear us and take knowledge of us that we've been with Jesus. Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. Some of you go to Greenville Tech. Others of you work other places. You go to different schools. I want to tell you one name that there is no shame in and it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Every other name that can ever be mentioned has shame attached to it. And do you know what name we're most ashamed of? The name of Jesus. May God have mercy on our wretched souls. There is one name that we should never be ashamed of. But you know, and I know, that in public places, to mouth the name Jesus is a difficult thing to do. Because our flesh recoils at that great man that that God sent into this world to save us from our sins. And has put it his own right hand. And Satan hates that man. And Satan hates that name. And so it's difficult. But I want to exhort you tonight. There is one name that we don't have to be ashamed of. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Brethren. There's a day coming in which he's going to show he's the blessed and only potentate, king of kings and lord of lords. And when he makes a public display to the whole universe that you are one of his, in front of the entire gathered universe of angels, devils, and men, that you are his, and he comes and intercedes for you on your behalf in front of God Almighty to deliver you from what's written in the books that you have done in your life, you'll be glad that the name of Jesus Christ is true. Right. And that he's there on your behalf. Can we be there for him today? Why are we ashamed of that name? I don't mean praying before meals. I don't mean carrying a Bible once in a while. I mean saying the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And being glad that we know him. And that he loved us. And that he gave himself for us. And that he walks with us and talks with us by his spirit. I want to love that name more. I want to say that name more. Every email you get from me, it better say something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say the Lord, I mean the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I'm ashamed of myself. Everything that we say, we ought to, our lives ought to be geared around the Lord Jesus Christ and lifting him up. This, these are what the saints were like when they were under the influence of the Holy Ghost. And brethren, it says in verse 14, Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, 
they could say nothing against it. He was standing up there. They could say nothing against it. That's why it was a sign and a wonder to give credibility to the words of the apostles. And when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. Yeah, let's have a secret meeting and see what we're going to do about this. And now we see a bunch of political expediency coming down. They sit and begin to reason among themselves the most horrible reasoning possible. Why didn't they just say, Wow, look at that man. Did you just hear, Brother, did you just hear that explanation for Psalm 118 verse 22? That is glorious. God's raised him from the dead. The Christ is here. He's exalted. He's healing. Look at these men. Every new believer, every new believer, when he's truly converted, thinks that the truth is so wonderful and so glorious that if he goes and tells someone, they're all going to get as excited as he is. Uh Wrong. Unless the Lord's opened a heart and opened eyes to see and a heart to understand, they're going to think you're a fool and they're going to hate the good things that you tell them. So that same Jesus Christ of Nazareth said, don't give your pearls to swine or your bread to dogs. But we should be willing to say it to all. Watch the reasoning of these wicked men. What shall we do to these men? This is verse 16. For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. If you can't deny it, believe it. Isn't, isn't the darkness of men's minds incredible? Amen. But that it spread no further among the people. Of course, we wouldn't want an undeniable miracle to spread among the people. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Oh, they hate that name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Notice they didn't even say the resurrection. Just don't you dare bring that name up again. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard and seen, which we have seen and heard. Amen, Peter. Amen. God's with us. God gave us this miracle. God's given us this message. Now, why don't you men sit and have another council and decide whether we ought to listen to you or to God? Whoa. Yes, Peter, I like you. I would have enjoyed hearing that. But brethren, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want you to see why... Some men can't see the truth. John 12, 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, which is Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, 
that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. That's Isaiah chapter 6. Is he the potter and we're the clay? Does God have the sovereign right to blind men and not let them see the Son of God so that he would have to heal them? Did you do you understand what I just read? That's not a popular passage in Greenville tonight. Doesn't Jesus want everyone to see the truth? No. Never did, never will. They'll all see it, but they'll be on the receiving end of it. The receiving end of judgment. And it's only by the grace of God, brethren, that we see or believe anything. Amen. Because he's opened our eyes to the truth and he's opened our hearts to believe it. Back to Acts chapter 4. So they threatened them this time. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. If we ever make a decision in this church because of the people, would somebody please put a gospel bullet between my eyes? Do you want us to ever do anything in here because of the people? Can you believe that? How about because of God? How about because of his word? How about because of a miracle? Because of the people. They're making their decisions out of political expediency to keep their fat cat jobs. And you mess with a man's, when a man has gone to seminary from the age of 18 and he's never learned how to work or never done anything or never made any money in this world and he's 45 years old or he's 55 years old and you mess with his doctrine and you show him something something from the Bible that he knows that if he were to preach it, his church would shrink in half, his church would shrink to one quarter. I want to tell you what happens to most men. Because of the people, they keep right on preaching the lies that they had been preaching, even when they know the truth, because they're too afraid of it. And so they push it way over into the corner of their minds and ignore it. And if you don't think that men are that wicked, you ha- you're just being foolish. Because of the people, it's right here. The whole establishment. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Was showed. I want to remind you, brother, that when you turn on your television and you see someone being led down there, led down the aisle in some great coliseum someplace to some healing service and they're they're just a quivering and acting shaky and so forth and the charismatic healer there says to him and what do we have here and they take the microphone and say i've had kidney stones for 30 years and so the healer blows on them and they fall back they fall down the floor and the helpers come and pick them up and praise god The kidney stones are gone. Well, how in the world do you know that, brethren? When God does a healing work, it's all visible. That man had laid there at the beautiful gate of the temple for years. They all knew him. I want The reason I'm saying this is because it's constant throughout the New Testament. All those gifts were done publicly where it was obvious. You didn't have to explain. You didn't have to go to doctors to get reports. 
It was a manifestation of the power of God. And it says the miracle of healing was showed. It wasn't guessed at or wondered at. Everyone knew that it had been a miracle, even the leaders of the Jews. Let's go to the second section of Acts chapter 4. Brethren, you want to read about a powerful prayer meeting? Get set. Let's go. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. And I hope this happens Wednesday night. I hope this happens in some smaller groups throughout the week. We need to be a praying congregation. And when and being let go, they went to their own company. This is Peter and John and a man who's flexing everywhere he goes. They go to their own company, back to the other 120 plus 3,000 plus 5,000 men. Pretty big company. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, that is the horrible news that the government's against us. The government is going to stamp out our preaching. When they heard that, they had a street riot. When they heard that, they passed petitions. When they heard that, here's what they did. They prayed. You can do more on your knees for your children your marriage, your country, and your church than you will ever do by any exertion of your effort. It is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. I am going to, until the day the Lord takes me out of here, unless he shows me differently that the Holy Spirit is not a very powerful influence in Christianity, you're going to hear it over and over again. We have not emphasized the Spirit of God enough. You say, that's a change from the past. Forgive me for the past. Let's go forward. I'm going to forget what's behind us and press forward for the Holy Ghost to be in this church and in me preaching to you and to be in you to hear what I'm preaching and to make it bear fruit. I cannot cause fruit to grow, not even in my own life. Without me, ye can do nothing, Jesus said. And how do we do it by him? With his Holy Spirit in our lives. And as a brother said tonight when he prayed, you've told us to pray for the Holy Ghost. Pray for the Holy Spirit. It is the presence of God in your life. You can sing in prison. He can convert your children with your meager little efforts. He can do anything. And when they had heard that, that there was now a government conspiracy against the preaching of the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now, brethren, that's a lot of voices. But they lifted it up to God with one accord. And listen to this prayer. It's not long. But they humble themselves before the great God They remind him of some prophecies that he made in his word. They applied those prophecies to their situation. And they asked God to bless them for his own namesake. And they invoked the greatest name that's ever been given under heaven. And that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they invoked it in a very special way, unique to this prayer only in the entire Bible. They acknowledged the sovereign government of God over the earth. And they asked for his blessings. Now listen to this prayer. Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? 
the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. The answer to their prayer, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake the word of God with boldness. These people prayed, Lord, thou art God. And when we open up a prayer, we should open up a praise and addressing the Lord God himself, the the creator living God. Verse. And then to bring his word to bear. The scriptures are brought to bear in verses 25 and 26, where they bring up a prophecy from Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, you spoke by David that the heathen and the rulers were going to gather together against your Christ. Well, they're doing it. Of a truth, verse 27, they say, Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles and the people of Israel are all gathered together doing only what you would determine they would do. But they are get the sovereignty of God. Amen. That God, you are in complete control. Don't drop to your knees in despair like everything's out of control. Because it's not. Give him the glory that everything is in control. And they are fulfilling what you said they would do. And now look at their threatenings and grant to us that we might be able to preach and to heal in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when we say the words, holy child, Jesus, we're not, we don't mean that we're thinking of a manger and a baby in it. A child can be of any age. It just means one begotten by another. It's the holy child Jesus. God had a son. It's the son of God. The holy child Jesus are just other words for the son of God. When you pray, you know, we often get to the end of our prayers and we say in Jesus' name, amen. And sometimes it almost sounds like a new word where we combine all those syllables. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Remember, you're dropping the name above which there is no name. And when you let out that name out of your lips, if there's any one moment in your prayer when you're sincere and thinking about what you're saying, let it be when you say the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because as Peter, when he looked at that lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, there is power in that name. No man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And when you're praying and you can come to the conclusion, or you say it ten times through your prayer, that you're praying in the name of Jesus Christ, and you're doing it with the full sincerity and willingness to obey Him, you are doing it by the Holy Ghost, and heaven can be shaken by that name. I want to tell you the devils in hell tremble before the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Amen. Give God the glory. What a, what a prayer meeting. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. But brethren, it had more of an effect than that. Not only was the preaching better and the miracles better, and not only was the place shaken, I want you to see the character of the church of Jesus Christ again. Amen. And it's not a community outreach center, and it's not a gymnasium, and it's not a building program. It's not a Christian school. This is the character of the church of Jesus Christ and Luke, who is a very detail-conscious man, a physician, wrote the same words in chapter 2, but he's going to give them to us again. I wonder why. Do you think we should learn from that little Bible rule of emphasis that if God repeats it, we should take heed to it? Amen. This is what I want us to see as we go through Acts. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Mike, you got up here tonight and you said that that's what you prayed for this assembly and you wanted us to pray for that. This is the character of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. There aren't divisions. There aren't differences. There's no bitterness. There's no animosity. There's no factions, no cliques. The multitude of them. Do you know how big this multitude was now? It was huge. It was great. They were of one heart and of one soul. You know I could take that little clause there and we could look at 40 other verses. But are 40 other verses going to help you? Reading this verse, by the power of the Holy Ghost, which I hope you're praying for this church, which I am, is all that we need because we know we ought to do this. I don't need to give you more proof, but we don't do it in the flesh either. It's not a list of rules on your refrigerator. Don't do anything in the flesh. Humble yourself before God and realize this is what He wants from us and let Him bear this fruit in your life. And yes, make the effort to do it. And pray before you do it and pray while you're doing it and pray after you do it. And God will bless you in the giving and in the unity. It is our duty to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. Every member of this multitude said, if there is any need in this assembly and I have the means for it, I will give what I have. Nothing is mine to be kept back. I will give what I have for the benefit of the church. But they had all things common. If someone needed a place to stay, there was a place to stay. If someone needed a meal, they had a meal. If someone needed a vehicle, they had a vehicle. That's when men are operating by the Spirit of God. And brethren, look what effect it has on the church and the ministry and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Amen. What do you think, what verse, what words do you think in the whole book of Acts? 
that your pastor wants for this church. Great grace was upon them all. Amen. Great grace was upon them all. Not some, not most, but upon them all. Not a little grace, not some grace. Great grace was upon them all. Great grace to do all that he's expecting of us. Great grace that would do what we have described in verse 32. Great grace was upon them all. And I hope you'll pray with me for great grace upon us all. There has been grace poured out upon us. But I hope you're not content. There can be greater grace. Great grace was upon them all. Now he's going to repeat himself again. Neither was there any among them that lacked. This is what grace does. It makes people givers. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And here a particular man is mentioned, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to commend this church for the, for the hospitality. You've already heard it mentioned by one brother tonight. I know of some of the hospitality that's going on in this church right now. I commend and I praise it but I want it to increase yet more and more, all of us, to be more generous, to be given to it, and to be willing to distribute the things that we have for the benefit of our brethren. Right. That is the great, that is the, the manifestation of the Spirit of God in a person, is their giving. Right. Giving of time, giving of friendship, giving of encouragement, giving of possessions, giving of money, giving of hospitality. That is the manifestation of God in a man's life. It is not the public ritual on Sunday of driving your fine car to the church and walking in in your fine suit to be seen as a fine, upstanding Christian businessman in the community by the rest of the church. That is all a stench in the nostrils of God, and that's what all the big churches downtown this city live on. It's a social club to be seen of men. The true church of Jesus Christ are some humble saints that get together and realize they are strangers and pilgrims in this earth, and therefore the things that they possess are not their own, but are the collective good of the body when there is a need. That doesn't mean that we go tomorrow and sell every single asset that we have and divide it up by the number of members we have. But there ought to be a willing spirit for something close to that. And I'm not going to be any more defensive than the statement I just gave you, because when we get too much like that, where we're overriding the word of God by giving too much to one another, then I'll preach a message on the fact that whilst it was in thy power, it was yours to keep or to give, as Acts chapter 5 will teach. But I don't think that we're in danger of that infecting us yet. And I'm not upset. I want to, I want to exhort you, brethren, to live out, let's live by the presence of God in our lives, this kind of giving and care one for another. Unity? If there is any difference or disagreement in this assembly, get it worked out. Don't hold us back. If you haven't been having anyone over to your house, 
Have them over. If you don't know what to do, read the Bible and pray. Sing. We don't need board games. We need the Lord's name. And we need prayer. This is Acts chapter 4. I hope you love the Lord Jesus Christ and I hope you want to obey Him. Amen.